are listening to the sermon podcast of Covenant Presbyterian Church. We are a community in Madison, Wisconsin, who gathers to worship, to learn, to serve, and to grow together in God's love. Please visit us online at www.covenantmadison.org, where you can find information about Covenant Ministries, as well as links to our online worship services and sermon podcasts. In life and in death, we belong to God. This is the central affirmation of our Lenten sermon series, the message we want to reiterate over and over again to remember that in life and in death, we belong to God, the message we want to take to heart. So I'd like you to just say it with me once. In life and in death, we belong to God. These are the first words in the Presbyterian Church's brief statement of faith, a statement that was put together in the 1980s when the northern and southern branches of the church unified, and it sort of holds the whole statement together. There's a concluding line in the statement that's actually very similar, and it says, we rejoice that nothing in life or in death can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Those are familiar words. Maybe some of you have been to memorial services. We quote from Romans chapter 8 a lot there. But this, this sense that in life and in death we belong to God, that God's love is with us always no matter what. That holds that statement together and it holds our faith together. Actually, you can find the whole statement if you want in your hymnals right here in the sanctuary on page 37. And it's in Spanish and Korean as well in the subsequent pages. So that statement is the core of what we're focusing on during this season of Lent, this season, seven-week season, when we lead up to Holy Week, remembering the life of Jesus, the arrest of Jesus, the death of Jesus, and the resurrection of Jesus. We're focusing on the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, and we're also focusing on our own lives and our own deaths and our resurrection hope in this time. The gospel reading for today is one of many in John's gospel that focus on the idea of life. The word life figures prominently in John's gospel, and it's worth remembering that. We, we already heard in John chapter 4, Jesus says, The water that I give you will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. Well, elsewhere in the gospel, we read right in the beginning, Jesus um, is, is referenced, and there's a sense of, uh, of life right there. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. Then right in the middle of the gospel, Jesus said, I came that they might have life and have it in all its fullness, or have life in abundance. Different translations put it in different ways. Have it abundantly. Then in the next chapter, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. In John chapter 14, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. You see a pattern here? The word life figures prominently throughout the gospel. Then at the conclusion of the gospel, in the next to last chapter, um, some people think it was the original ending, and then chapter 21 was added on later, but there's sort of this summary statement talking about why the gospel was written so that you might continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah and that through believing you may have life in his name. Those are the final words of John chapter 20. So this message of life runs through here. So it seems to me that people who take the name Christian and people who are serious enough about going to church on a snowy day when we don't have enough sleep, that you know, if you're that serious about it, that we ought to be paying attention to what life is all about, to what this life is that Jesus came proclaiming for all of us and be intentional and alert about this life. 
Last week, those of you who are here or worshiping with us online heard the story of Jesus and Nicodemus, his encounter with Nicodemus, a Pharisee. Clara Thompson preached an excellent sermon. I listened to it in my car as I was traveling. I was away last week. Um, And she focused on the idea that in life and in death, we belong to God. She acknowledged the reality that nobody knows for sure exactly what's going to happen when we die, but she affirmed the faith that we have, that somehow, some way, we belong to God, and God's grace and God's mercy are good and enough for us. Well, putting the story of Nicodemus in John chapter 3 and the woman at the well in John chapter 4 side by side, it's a really interesting contrast between these two stories. They're both extensive or or longer encounters with Jesus. John's gospel has several of these long chapters with these encounters with Jesus, and there's quite a few contrasts here. Nicodemus meets Jesus at nighttime in the dark, maybe because he's afraid, maybe because he doesn't want other Pharisees to know that he's meeting with Jesus. In contrast, the woman meets Jesus at noon in the brightness of the day, probably because she was shunned by other people and had to go to the well in the hottest part of the day. But there's this light-dark contrast, day-night contrast. Nicodemus, obviously a man, and he's got a name that we know. The woman at the well, we never learn her name, and she's female, and in a very patriarchal culture, being male and being very female would be a very different experience for two people. Nicodemus was an educated teacher. He had some level of prestige in society, and this woman, presumably being a woman, being a foreigner as well, probably uneducated, at least in a traditional schooling sense. Nicodemus was an influential Pharisee. He had some say in the way things went in society. And this woman from Samaria was a despised foreigner who found herself in foreign territory. In essence, Nicodemus was somebody, and in at least a cultural societal sense, this woman was a nobody. And interestingly, Nicodemus leaves the encounter unsure about Jesus, and the woman, if you keep reading in John's Gospel, you'll find out that she ended up kind of witnessing to Jesus and telling people about Jesus. And because of her words and her life and her example, other people came to have their encounters with Jesus and came to believe that Jesus was more than just a human being. So it's rather fascinating. And it's fascinating that by the standards from 2,000 years ago that Jesus would even have this encounter. Marge kind of hinted at that in the children's message, that Jesus would even have this encounter with this unnamed foreign you know, unliked, unpopular, nobody of a woman, and even offer her this water of life, this water of, um, of abundance. The promise of living water is rather intriguing. So let's spend a minute thinking a little bit about water. Marge got us going with water. There's actually some water on the floor that she left as a souvenir for us from her children's <laughs> message. Sorry, Marge, just kidding. Um, but there is water on the floor. But... <laughs> Water makes up something like 60% of the human body and something like 70% of the face of the earth is covered by water. Water is essential to life. A human body can go for days, even weeks, without food, but probably only a couple of days without water. Water helps us stay clean washing our bodies, washing our hands. Water is refreshing and reinvigorating in all sorts of ways. Has anybody here ever done a polar plunge? 
A couple people have. I, I've heard about them, and they, everybody says they're really invigorating. Well, I'm not going to do it anytime soon. I'll take your word for it. I'd rather do a, a nice warm shower or maybe a jump in the ocean when it's warm. But the point being that water is invigorating. Um, polar plunge may be a little more invigorating than most of us want, but water refreshes us and kind of wakes us up and helps us see things in new ways. Maybe that's what Jesus was getting at, you know, almost like a splash of water on us to look at life in a new way and think about things in a new and different way. So water is pretty important in all sorts of ways. And water is vital to our faith as well. You could say water runs through the Bible, right? The scripture begins with the wind of God sweeping over the watery chaos, and the Bible concludes with the river of life in the last chapters of the book of Revelation. The story of Noah and the flood reminds us of the reality of sin and God's desire for righteousness and God's offer of a second chance for humanity. The people of Israel are saved from slavery as they cross through the Red Sea, the paradigmatic story of their faith. And then the prophet Amos famously spoke out words that were echoed by Martin Luther King many years later, saying, let justice flow like waters and let righteousness flow like an ever-flowing stream. Let it roll like an ever-flowing stream, that wonderful imagery of water bringing new life and new justice and new righteousness for our world. So scripture is filled with water, and obviously baptism is central with this idea of water, this beautiful, mysterious, wonderful sacrament when we're claimed by God. Water is vital, necessary for baptism. The time when we celebrate we're connected to the church of Jesus Christ and that we're beloved children of God. And during baptism... We often read these words from Romans chapter 6, um, or at least the words from Romans chapter 6 um, inform our understanding of baptism. And as some of you know, we also occasionally use these words at funerals. There are not many passages of Scripture that are appropriate at both a baptism and a funeral, but these words are making the connection and helping us to think a little bit more deeply about baptism. So I'd like to read these together if you would be so kind to join me in reading these. Romans chapter 6. Do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we also might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. There's a lot of depth and power in these words here. I've always loved that phrase about walking in newness of life, and I think about that as we come out of the, the baptismal font. But this connection between baptism and life and death is rather intriguing. Now, I love being a Presbyterian. I've been a Presbyterian essentially my whole life. But I think we might miss the boat a little bit with baptisms. Because when we do baptisms, as you've probably seen, we had 10 baptisms last year. Somebody's over here and takes a little bit of water and sprinkles a little bit of water on somebody's head, right? We like to do that. We kind of like to do things decently and in order. We don't like to splash water all over the place unless we do children's messages sometimes. <laughs> Boy, I'm really throwing Marge under the bus today. So... <clears throat> um, 
But that's the, way we do, <clears throat> that's the way we do baptisms. And that's great. And there's good reasons for doing that. But I think we miss something. Some other Christian traditions have baptismal fonts in the, in the sanctuary where they do baptisms at the river. And the person being baptized is dunked and submerged and sometimes held down for a little bit. Some of you probably had baptisms like that and come up kind of gasping and coughing and have this sort of awareness of death and life. And it's a fascinating, fascinating imagery. The, the idea being in some sense that we're dying to sin and that we're being born in new ways. Rachel Held Evans captures it pretty well in her wonderful memoir called Searching for Sunday. She writes, The oldest baptism rites declared God's power over death. Many of the first baptismal fonts were shaped as coffins. I did not know that until I read this book. It's a fascinating idea. Baptismal fonts shaped like a coffin, and baptisms took place before sunrise on Easter morning to recall Christ's triumph over the grave. The Christian's descent into the water represents a surrender, a death to the old way of living. Emergence represents a resurrection, a starting over again. Isn't that fascinating? So even the tender moment when we're baptizing a cute little baby, it seems like we need to have some sense of awareness of both the precious gift of life, the reality of death, and the emergence that we're, we're striving for to put away the old life and welcome the new life. In life and in death, we belong to God. During this series, we have encouraged in writing and in this sanctuary and other places the importance of us having conversations about life and death issues on all sorts of topics and angles. And I think that's important that we need to have those conversations with our loved ones and think about our own lives and our own deaths and our own choices and the directions that our lives are taking. But at the same time, for those of us who are Christians, those of us who follow a teacher named Jesus, we need to remember the greatest teaching that he offered said, love your neighbors. So I'm going to back half of the sermon here. We're going to focus on what it means to be thinking about loving our neighbors and thinking about life and death issues. In terms of water, you know, here we are in Madison, and we can go to the water fountain, we can go to the kitchen sink, we can get drinking, drinking water that's good and delicious pretty much anywhere. And that's a great thing. That's not true all over the world. Some of us know from firsthand experience, um, having been in places where the water isn't clean, some of us know through our stomachs um, the experience of drinking water that's not clean. And for, for us, generally, that's a, a, a time of discomfort and unpleasantness. For some people, it becomes a life and death issue. There are people in this world who die every day because of unsafe drinking water, something it's easy for us to forget here in Madison. When we're talking about water, when we're talking about life and death issues, we need to remember the importance of um, making living water in a very tangible sense available for people in the world which is why I'm glad over the years <clears throat> with our partnership in Guatemala, one of the things we've done is to help provide water filters for people in remote areas so they could have clean drinking water. <clears throat> These filters were provided with funds from the generosity of Covenant through some partner organizations, and there's this complex system of big stones and little stones and sand that knocks out like 99% of the impurities in the water. I and several other members of this congregation have drank water or drunk water or whatever the past tense of water is. We've consumed water from these um, filters and, and survived and been, been just fine. And I'm really glad that we've, we've done that. But I think we need to be mindful. And, you know, I, I've mentioned before, I, you know, oftentimes when I take a drink of water, I remember there are people in the, wa in, in the world who can't just 
just do that. So I'm grateful that we're doing that. Jesus connects the dots for us on this with Matthew 25. We're Matthew 25 initiative congregation. And he says the words, I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. You know? We could take that quite literally or we could take that in a more spiritual sense. So I'm grateful for our efforts to provide good, clean drinking water for people in the world. The other thing that I think is worth thinking about as we think about the gospel reading with this unnamed woman who gets the offer of living water is the fact that Jesus reached out to this person. Jesus had a way of caring for everybody, especially for the people who were ignored, neglected, and forgotten. So as we think about these life and death issues, it's good for us to think about people who are ignored, neglected, and forgotten in terms of their own life and death issues, which makes me happy that we have connected with this organization called Solace Friends here in Madison, Wisconsin, an organization that is dedicated to um, caring for underserved individuals so they can receive housing, personal attention that nurtures physical comfort, emotional and spiritual wholeness, um, and individual dignity as they die. Right? A lot of us, when the time comes for us to die, we have health care, we have hospice options, we have families that love us, we have people that care for us, we have financial resources that will uh, give, us, give us a variety of options. There are people right here in Madison who die on the street every year without family, without friends, without medical care. And so it's great to know that there are people, organizations like this that we can partner with that are helping to do that. And we've done some partnering with them. Some people in this church have actually helped with some construction work at the Solace Friends location. So I'm grateful, grateful for that as well. During this season of Lent, as we follow Jesus to the cross and beyond to Easter Sunday, we need to continue to have the conversations about life and death issues. Um, we need to be thinking with our families and with our friends about our final resting spot, about burial, cremation, about organ donation. We need to be thinking about living wells and medical powers of, et uh, of attorney. We need to be thinking about getting our affairs in order, whether that means financially or personally, and living with a, a clear sense of purpose, and thinking about how we're going to be remembered when we're gone. These are all parts of the, uh, the equation in terms of thinking about life and death issues. We also need to be thinking about people who are mourning, people who are sad, and in some sense, we're all in that boat, carrying, carrying the sadness of knowing loved ones who have died. And as we do all these things for ourselves, as we're mindful of all these things for ourselves and our loved ones, we remember the call to love our neighbors, and we remember the good news of the gospel, that in life and in death, we all belong to God. Let us pray. Loving God, thank you for the gift of life. Thank you for the gift of today. Thank you that we're here, even on this snowy and cold and sleep-deprived day. Thank you for waking us up one more day to live, to be here, to be present. Help us to take this day, to not take this day for granted and to, to make the most of it. Help us to find ways to listen to one another, to take care of one another, to love our neighbors and to live with clearer sense of purpose. Help us maybe the next time we wash our hands or take a shower to really wake up, wake up and to receive the living water, the life that you have come to offer us and to offer the world 
and wake us up so we can really love our neighbors and make this world a better place as we seek to follow Jesus together. In his name we pray. Amen.